When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation, it's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA podcast brought to you by our great friends at MyBookie. Guys, I'm telling you right now, this is the best time of year to be signed up with an account at my bookie because they have a ton of great promos they're offering every single day every day this week during thanksgiving week they're gonna have a different promo for you guys and trust me they are all worth your time so if you don't already have an account now is the time. Go to mybookie.ag, sign up for a brand new account, and get a 50% deposit bonus on that first deposit on top of it all by using our exclusive promo code UGA. You can also use the code 200CASH if you prefer to get a 10% cash bonus with no strings attached added straight to your account. Two great options. Make sure to jump in on the action while you can. But all right, guys, I am your host, Tyler. And yes, I am flying solo here once again today. This was not the plan. I wasn't lying when I told you guys on the recap episode that the plan was for Curtis to jump on with me for this mailbag episode because he wasn't able to be on the recap show because he was traveling to Florida to spend Thanksgiving week with his wife's family. That was the plan. That's what we were going to do. But unfortunately, in the chaos of the holiday week and get everything packed and heading down to Florida, Curtis forgot his microphone. That's what it comes down to. He forgot his mic. He forgot his equipment. And yeah, we could record it by having him call in or using his computer mic, but the audio is terrible and it doesn't sound good. We tried it out. We did. We gave it a shot. We tried it out. But to be perfectly honest with you, it was just beneath the standards of our show and what we want to put out there. I mean, this podcast is what it is. It's not the biggest podcast on the face of the earth, obviously, but... We still take pride in what we do, and we want to make sure what we put out there is our best work. And that was not going to be our best work. The audio was just not going to work. So we definitely wanted to have Curtis on here, but we decided the best course of action was just for me to go ahead and do this thing solo to save you guys the headache of having to listen to Curtis sound like he was calling in from outer space. And I'm nursing a little bit of a cold here myself. I got something, I guess, over the weekend in Knoxville, not feeling great, but hey, This is crunch time. This is when the season gets real, and I'm definitely not going to leave you guys hanging cold or no cold. So here I am. We're going to make this happen today because we have a ton of great questions that all of you amazing listeners sent in, and I want to get through as many of them as I possibly can before my voice gives out and before I might pass out here. So let's go ahead and get started. And our question of the day comes from Chris. I think this is the first question that Chris has sent in. Chris, I don't know if you're a new listener or not, but whether you've been with us for a while or not, I appreciate you, man. Thanks for sending in this great question, this question of the day. And don't be a stranger. But Chris is seeing something that I think a lot of us are seeing. This Georgia offense, guys, is legit. This Georgia offense, I don't want to say it's carrying the Georgia defense. That's not the case. Our defense is still very, very good. But our offense is better than our defense right now, guys. It's been that way really all season long. There were a few growing pains early in the season as we were working through some injuries, but we have been humming for the better part of a month and a half, two months at this point. And Chris has taken notice. So Chris asked, 
Is this the best, most balanced offense that Georgia has ever had? Ever had? Man, I think that's a really fair question. Let me just start by saying this, though. How great is it that we are essentially having the same conversation in back-to-back seasons? Because we were basically having the same conversation last year, right? Is this the best offense that we've ever seen in the history of Georgia football? And the answer was yes. I mean, that's what I, that was my whole thing coming into last season was, hey guys, I think this is going to be the best offense that, we were ever, that we'll ever have seen at the University of Georgia. And I think it was arguably that. You go back to the 2014 offense, 2013 offense was also really good. 2012 offense was good. But I think you make a strong argument that the 2022 Georgia offense was the best in program history. And here we are, one year later, having the exact same conversation. And I think it's a very fair question. I think it's a very fair conversation to have because you can make the argument once again that this Georgia offense is the best offense in Georgia history, the most balanced offense in Georgia history. I think you can make a very strong case that that is indeed what we are watching right now. Now, if you look at it statistically, it's close. They're very similar. There are some statistical categories where we were superior last season. There are some categories where we are statistically superior this season. It kind of just depends on what you put more of a premium on. Maybe in some people's cases, what is your narrative? What agenda are you trying to push? But at the very least, the numbers are close enough to where you can very, very reasonably make an argument that this Georgia offense is better in 2023. Right now, we are averaging 501.8 yards per game and 7.23 yards per play. Compare that to last season, we averaged 501.1 yards per game and 7.17 yards per play. So both of those numbers would tell you that, yeah, this Georgia offense right now is slightly better, ever so slightly better than what we saw from the Georgia offense a year ago. Scoring offense, the edge would go to the 2022 version. We averaged 41.1 points per game last year. We are averaging close this year, but 40.4 points per game right now. Now, here's the caveat to all of this. We're comparing a season that is unfinished to a season that has already played out when you're looking at the statistics. We still have some of the toughest games on our schedule left to play. Now, we did just run through a very tough slate of games here over the past couple of weeks to kind of close out the regular season. Obviously, we have Tech ahead of us, and that's a game that we have to respect and take seriously. But we've had a a tough stretch of three straight top 25 matchups. But we've got an SEC championship date with Alabama here in about a week and a half. Then hopefully, we have the college playoff semifinal. And then hopefully we have a college football playoff national and championship game to play. So we are going to hopefully play better teams, the best teams we have faced all year in the next month or so. And I think that matters when you're looking at statistics and trying to compare the 2022 offense to this year's offense because those numbers from last year already have those teams baked in. They already have a game against Ohio State, a game against LSU, a game against TCU. I know TCU wasn't great, obviously, but those games are already baked in. We have yet to play the best teams that we're going to play this season. And who knows, maybe the numbers won't come down. Maybe they won't. But there's also a good chance when you're playing a defense caliber of Alabama. And who knows, if we can get into the college playoff, you play a defense possibly the caliber of Ohio State or Michigan. Those are really good defenses. And it's reasonable to expect maybe our numbers will come down a little bit when you play defenses of that caliber. Personally, I would give the edge to the 2022 Georgia offense. And it's ever so slight, guys. Like, again, you can make a very strong case for this year's offense, and I would not put up a fight because when we are fully healthy, 
we might be more balanced overall. I, I can certainly see where you're coming from there, Chris. I mean, we can when we can throw Brock Bowers at you and Lad McConkie and Dominic Lovett and Ra Ra Thomas and Dejan Edwards and Kendall Milton, the way he's running right now, and Oscar Delp and Dylan Bell, we can throw all of these guys at you. I can see why someone would maybe suggest that this is a more balanced Georgia offense than what we saw last year. But I, I do go back to last year. I want to defend that offense a little bit. I think that we were really balanced last year too. I think when you look at guys, obviously we, we still have brought Bowers to have McConkie. Those are the two top guys. A.D. Mitchell was not healthy for the vast majority of the year, so you kind of throw him out. But, I mean, Kyrus Jackson made plays for us last year, right? Marcus Rosemey Jackson this year. I mean, how did I forget Marcus Rosemey Jackson? Marcus Rosemey Jackson is having a career year right now, so he's another guy you can throw into the mix this year and say, yeah, we're really balanced. But he had a solid year for us last year as well. And then you had Darnell with almost 500 yards receiving. I mean, again, Kyrus Jackson, Dominic Blaylock made some catches in big games. The Missouri game, Dominic Blaylock came up big in that game. Kenny McIntosh might be the difference, though, guys. Honestly, like, I love Dejan Edwards. Kendall Milton's playing like a man possessed right now at the running back position. But Kenny's versatility as both a runner and a receiver is really what leads me to give the edge to last year's offense in terms of balance and just overall, if I had to take my preference, I would take last year's offense. Because Kenny, guys, I mean, let's not forget, Kenny had 500 yards receiving last year, 43 receptions. He is better than any running back that we have on the roster right now. He just is. And that's no shot at Dajan. That's no shot at Kendall Milton. Those guys are playing really well for us right now. But both of those guys were Kenny McIntosh's backups last year. And we have run the ball better as the season has progressed, but we still don't run the football as well as we did last year. We're averaging about 25 yards less per game on the ground. We are averaging 178 yards rushing right now per game, 5.12 yards per rush. Great numbers, like very solid numbers, respectable. You're going to win a lot of football games when those are your numbers. Last year, though, we averaged 205 yards rushing per game and 5.53 yards per carry. And Kenny McIntosh was the lead back. He wasn't the only one involved in those numbers, of course, but he was the feature guy back there in both the run game and the pass game. So really, it might be just Kenny that gives me that gives the edge to the George offense from last year. Look, A.D. Mitchell, when he was healthy, we know he was not healthy very often, but when he was, that dude was a different player too. Right? I mean, that was a big time guy out there for us on the outside. But then again, we are more explosive this year. We are. I mean, last year we had 98 plays of 20 or more yards, 34 plays of 30 or more yards, and 14 plays of 40 or more yards. Right now, this year, we've got 69 of 20 plus, 32 of 30 plus, 18 of 40 plus. We've already surpassed our plays of 40 or more yards from last year. We're almost there in plays of 30 or more yards, and we're on pace right now to hit 94 plays of 20 or more yards, so slightly less than what we had last year, but we have hit more 30 and 40-yard plays essentially already right now at this point in this season. So we have been more explosive, and as I said in the recap episode, we have a couple questions about Carson Beck here in a few minutes. Carson's playing as good as any quarterback in the country, and Stetson was fantastic for us last year. I mean, he was a Heisman Trophy finalist. Dude was awesome. The best quarterback in Georgia history to that point. But what Carson Beck is doing right now, man, I don't know, dude. I, he very well could be putting together a better season than Stetson. Been. Like, I know Stetson had that clutch gene. He came up with big play after big play, and he kind of had that chip on his shoulder that he played with that you love to watch. And Carson's a different guy, very different guy out there. But the production speaks for itself, man. This guy is unbelievable. We're talking about 72, 73% completion percentage right now. So if you want to make the argument that Carson is playing better than Stetson did a year ago, again, I'm not going to fight you on it. And if you want to say, well, that's the difference for me. That's why I'm going with the 2023 George offense. I wouldn't fight you on that. I get it. It's a strong argument to make. 
I guess for me at the end of the day, I'm going to stick with my initial assessment there and say the 2022 offense. And here's my final reason why. I just think we had more ways to beat you last year. And I know that a lot of you will look at the, the players that we have this year and say, look, man, there's all these guys that could, that could be the, the top receiver, the top rusher on any given day. And that's true. But couldn't you say the same of last year's team? It could have been Brock Bowers. It could have been Lad McConkey. When A.D. Mitchell was healthy, it could have been A.D. Mitchell. Could be Darnell Washington on, on any given day. Heck, it could have been Kyrus Jackson on, on any given day. It could have been Kenny McIntosh on any given day. I just think that we were able to attack defenses in more ways last year than we are this year. I'm not saying that we don't have a variety of ways to attack defenses this year. We absolutely do. And that is a massive reason why, yet again, we are one of the top five offenses in the United States of America. But who is Kenny McIntosh as a receiver out of the backfield right now? We don't have that guy. We can't hurt teams that way the way that we did last year. How many times have you sat there and watched us run what looks to be a zone replay? And I don't know if Carson has given the green light to pull it on those zone relooks or not, or if he's just carrying out the fakes. I don't know. I'm not in the meeting rooms. I don't know what he's being told. But Stetson was given the green light to pull those last year, and he did. And he hurt a lot of teams with his legs last year. And Carson has picked up some nice first downs on his legs. He has. He's not a statue. We talked about that in preseason. He's way more athletic than people want to give him credit for. But we also don't use him in the run game. We don't do any design QB run stuff with him. Like very, I mean, We've run a couple of QB draws. Like we had one dialed up against Tennessee in the first half. But there was a penalty or the, the whistle blew. So we didn't actually get to run it. Maybe it was our first drive. I think it was after that, that muffed handoff on the mesh. But we called way more design QB run stuff with Stetson than we do with Carson. And that was just another way for us to attack defenses. I mean, how many times last year did Stetson's legs bail us out and become big, big reasons why we were able to win football games? A number of times. And I just don't think that we can hurt defenses that way this year. I also don't think our screen game is as strong because we don't have Darnell Washington out there blocking on the perimeter. And that's a reason why our run game also is not quite as strong as it was a year ago. So again, at the end of the day, I just think that we had more ways to attack defenses last year. So I'm going to give the slightest of edges to the 2022 Georgia offense. But hey guys, again, it is amazing that we were able to have this conversation, have a legitimate conversation, a discussion about whether or not this 2023 offense actually is better. But all right, guys, before we get into the rest of our questions, let's go ahead and take a quick break. Let me remind you once again about our great friends at MyBookie. I said at the outset, I will say it again, guys. If you are not signed up for an account at MyBookie right now, do it. Just go ahead and do it because you do not want to miss out on all the awesome promo deals they are offering this week. They have a new promo deal every single day. And these are not just little nothing deals. These are big time deals. We're talking big time odds boost. We're talking free bets. We're talking prize pools, cash bonuses, all sorts of different options. And you don't want to miss out. And of course, on top of it all, you can still get our exclusive Glory UGA promo deal by going to mybookie.ag, sign up for a brand new account and use our code UGA to get a 50% bonus, guys. Why wait? Why wait, guys? I know some of you have been sitting on the fence. Now's the time to jump off that fence and jump in on all the action so you can bet anything, anytime, anywhere, only with my bookie. All right, guys, let's get back to it. And we've got a ton of really good questions today, as is always the case. I feel like I say that every week, and I do because we always have great questions. But our next two questions deal with our man, Carson Beck. I was waxing poetic about him on the recap episode, and you know what? I'm about to do it all over again because we got a, a number of questions about Carson. So I, I got two of them here. I picked the first two that I saw because there were more than a few overlap questions. But the first one I got comes from Michael. And Michael asked, can Carson Beck 
be a first-round NFL draft pick if he continues business as usual for the next two-plus games. Does he have to win a natty? He has been incredible, and I'd love for him to come back next year. Can Kirby talk him into it? So a lot of meat to that bone here. Let's start with the first part of Michael's question. Can Carson Beck be a first-round draft pick if he continues business as usual? Yeah, he absolutely can. Uh, I'm, I'm more and more buying into that every single week. What does this guy not do well? Let me just ask you that. What does he not do well? What does he not do that other guys in this quarterback draft class do? Now, he doesn't have the legs of a Caleb Williams or maybe even a Drake May, but in terms of throwing the football, what are those guys doing that he is not? Please let me know. Let me know what I'm missing here. He's got a great arm. He's making NFL throws. He can make every single throw on the route tree. He does an incredible job pre-snap. He diagnoses what defenses are doing post-snap. He does not get fooled. He has answers for everything a defense is doing. He's incredibly accurate. Yeah, he's missed a few deep shots, but you know what? So is every quarterback. The guy's still completing 72 plus percent of his passes. He's an underrated athlete. He's shown up big in big moments. He's unflappable out there. What is there to not like about this guy? Where's the flaw? Where's the fatal flaw that says this guy can't be a first-round draft pick? I don't know where it is, guys. I don't see it. I don't see it right now. And I've watched this guy a lot. I mean, I've rewatched every game about four or five times. This guy is legit. He's a first-round talent. Now, I was hopeful, like you, Michael, that he would come back next year because of the strength of this quarterback draft class and there not being a guarantee that he'd be one of the top two or three guys. Now, I think that he is good enough to be one of the top two or three quarterbacks drafted. I do not think he'll be taken ahead of Caleb Williams because... Caleb Williams' athleticism, his ability to throw off platform, that's really covered in the NFL right now, so I still anticipate he will be the number one pick. But man, Carson is making a strong case for himself to be that number two or three guy. He really is. And if he's going to be the two or three guy, if he's in that conversation, I think you got to go. I mean, I think you at least have to strongly consider it. Now, as I've been saying for the past couple of weeks, if he does indeed choose to come back next year, I believe he can be the number one option. So it just depends on what are your goals, how quickly do you want to get to the NFL, how quickly do you want to start getting into that second contract, all those things. You don't know what's going on behind the scenes and, and where his head's at and what his priorities are. But he has a chance, I believe, if he comes back next year to be the number one guy. And I think that has to be the selling point. But if he thinks he can be the number two or three guy in this class and be a first-round draft pick, a top 10, top 15 guy, he might very well go. Now, NIL is the wild card here because that can help compensate and maybe bridge the gap if he really wants to take a shot at being the number one overall guy, which I do think he has a shot to do. I really believe that. It's just not going to be this season. If he is going to be the number one overall draft pick, it would be next season. But I don't know how important that is to him. But I'll tell you why. You're exactly right. Kirby and our collective, we better be putting together a bag for Carson to make it really, really tough for him to decide to go pro. But with each and every passing week, I think it's becoming more and more likely that he does declare this year. Now, you asked me last week this question. I was like, I think he'll come back next year because this draft class is so strong. But the more I watch some of these other guys and the more I watch Carson Beck, I'm like, man, he's as good, if not better, than all of these guys. So why would he not go? I don't know, man. It's it's, it's going to be touch or go here over the next month or two, I, well, I guess, after the after the season. Hopefully, our season goes all the way through the first week of January, but it'll be something that we'll have to monitor very, very closely for sure. And our next question also deals with Carson Beck, but it's not focused on the NFL. It's focused on the Heisman Trophy. And Billy asks, could a big performance by Carson Beck put him in the Heisman finalist conversation? A thousand percent, Billy. I think he's already there. I think he's very much in that conversation. I would say clearly to me, Bo Nix is going, probably Jaden Daniels is going, maybe Michael Penix, and then you have maybe Marvin Harrison Jr. who's got an outside shot. I think Carson's got an outside shot. 
I would have said Jordan Travis would have had an outside shot, but unfortunately, man, poor kid. Ah, dang, man, that's just tough, tough, tough blow for him. Tough blow for Florida State, man, it's tough. So he's out of the picture. I don't imagine he's going to get an invite, but I think Carson's right there in that conversation. Depends. Like, how does how does the voting play out? Is are there only going to be three people? Are going to be four guys get invited? It just depends on how many votes these guys get. But you're exactly right. Carson has one big stage before those votes have to be sent in. He's got that SEC championship game against Alabama, the biggest stage of the championship weekend. And that is going to be, I don't know if it's a play-in for the Cushable playoff because Alabama at number eight right now, even if they beat us, do they automatically get in? That certainly depends on what happens with these other teams around the country. Does Florida State still find a way to finish the season unscathed going to the Cushable playoff? Does Texas win out? Does Oregon beat Oregon State and then beat Washington? Or does Oregon lose to Oregon State and then beat Washington? Or if Oregon loses to Oregon State and Arizona beats Arizona State, then Arizona is going to be in the Pac-12 title game. Do they beat Washington? There's still a lot to be played out, so I'm not ready to say that the SEC title game is a true plan. If we win, we are in. If we lose, I don't know, man. I don't know. It, it, it's tough. I, mean, I am rooting hard for all these other contenders to lose because, man, I, I still think we're better than Alabama. I still think that we that's a game that we should win, but I'm also very well aware of how good Alabama is and how much better they are playing lately and that they, they are very capable of beating us and I am, I am getting more and more nervous the more I think about, it. like, what if we lose? Are we going to go from one to, like, five and be left out? Because like, that's crazy. But we could very well be looking at that scenario. So if we win, we're in. If Bama wins, I don't know it's a necessarily a done deal that they are in. But regardless, that is a massive stage. And if Carson Beck plays big against that Bama defense and puts us in the playoff, he's absolutely going to go to New York. But like, book his ticket now. Put the man in New York. Is he going to win it? No, probably not. He doesn't have the overall statistical numbers, and that's really what the Heisman Trophy has become. But I think he can get the Stetson Bennett treatment and say, this guy has played big in the biggest moments, on the biggest stages, and been one of the best quarterbacks on the best team all season long. Yeah, the guy, I, I think he's going to get invited if he does that. And just like Stetson Bennett a year ago, it will be 100% deserving. I do not care what rival fan bases want to say, what trash they want to talk, 100% deserving. All right, let's keep this thing rolling. Let's move to our next question. This next question is about the offensive line, and this comes from Sage. How did the backup offensive lineman grade out being the next man up? Could Tate Radlich have come back in after going down with an injury? Man, Micah Morris played really well. So we've been really fortunate that we have a number of guys that we have rotated in and out all season long. And at this point in the season, we have three guys at the guard position that are SEC starting caliber guards. Tate Rattledge is one of them. Dylan Fairchild is one of them. And Micah Morris is the third. I think you can say the same thing at tackle. I think that Amarius Mims, obviously, is a starting caliber guy in the SEC at, at right tackle. Ernest Green has grown into that. And Xavier Truss is capable-ish. He started a number of SEC games for us. And hey, we've won all those games. Offensive line's playing better and better. So I think we have three guys that can start at tackle. I think we have three guys at guard. And so when Tate went down, we were okay. Because you just take Micah Morris, slide him over to right guard, and he played really well. In fact, he was the highest graded guard, highest grade offensive lineman that we had against Tennessee, according to Pro Football Focus. I mean, those are going to be our two starting guards next year, guys. It's going to be Micah Morris, and it's going to be Dylan Fairchild. So we're getting a little preview of what the future's going to look like next year. And you know what, guys? 
we're going to be okay because Michael Morris is a really good football player. Now, Tate Rattledge was starting for a reason because he's a better player right now. He's more advanced at this stage in his career. But Tate's going to be okay. I was concerned there. I thought it might be a knee injury. And I was like, oh, man, that is that is a tough blow, another tough blow in a season just full of tough blows on the injury front. But according to Kirby Smart, he's going to be fine. He's got a, he's got a bruised knee. He, he banged knees. And that's painful. That is very painful. I'm not trying to trivialize that. And he's got to get to the point where he can put the pressure on it and he can play pain-free enough. He won't be pain-free, but to the point where the pain is not severe enough that's going to keep him from performing at the level that he needs to perform in these next couple of games. And he very well could be ready to play against Tech. If not, I fully expect him to be ready to play against Alabama in the SEC Championship game. And our next question also deals with injuries. Justin asks, what have you heard about Lad's injury status? I'm seeing on message boards that it may be more severe than we thought. How much does it hurt us if he has to miss the SEC championship? It doesn't seem to be that it's a very severe injury. It's the ankle. It's the ankle that he rolled against Ole Miss. You know, he went out for interviews after that game, which typically is a sign that he's okay because we don't send guys out if they're dealing with severe injuries. They don't do press conferences. They don't talk to the media if that's the case. So when he went out to talk to the media after the Ole Miss game, I was like, oh, he's fine. And he, and he said himself, oh, I'll just roll my ankle. I'll be fine. No big deal. And Kirby essentially echoed those same sentiments himself last week. He didn't seem to think that there was much of an issue there. And Lad comes out early in the game was Tennessee, and he was playing, but you could tell he wasn't moving at full speed. He wasn't moving with the confidence that he typically does, and sure enough, you don't see him for the vast majority of the game after the first drive or two. Now, what I thought in the moment, I thought it was his back flaring back up on him. I thought his back might have tightened up on him again, because again, going back to last week, he said his ankle was fine. Kirby was saying his ankle was fine. He went out to interviews. So I thought the ankle was like no big deal, so I fear it was more the back coming back, and I was like, oh man, not this lingering back issue again. I'm actually encouraged that's the ankle and not the back. It's the back. I mean, guys, they come out for the, the first month of the season. And when that stuff flares up, I mean, you just can't control it. It's just so difficult, man. It's so unpredictable. With the angle, you can treat that far easier than you can treat the back. And it's also a very good sign that he came out there to play at all at any point. Now, apparently, he didn't practice at, at all last week, which... For Lad McConkie, that's not altogether unusual. He didn't practice a ton last year dealing with a variety of injuries. He didn't practice the first half of this year at all, really before the bye week with a back injury. He's been practicing more, so that's not like that's altogether uncommon for him. And he's usually, when he doesn't practice, he still goes out and he plays football because that's what this guy does. But the fact that he went out there and even gave it a go, that tells me that's not a super severe injury. Kirby scoffed the notion that it was a tightrope surgery. I think actually one of the reporters asked him in the Monday press conference today, and he was like, I don't know where you're hearing that from, but no, like he's going to be okay. So he's, he's just a little rolled ankle. We're just being cautious with it and, and trying to, to make sure he's fully healthy before he put it back out there. But I was like you. I, I was definitely like you, Justin. I, I was very concerned about Lad. I mean, seeing them sit there on the sideline, stand there on the sideline, like, man, is it, is it the back? I don't know. Maybe it's the ankle. I don't think it's the ankle, but apparently it is the ankle. And again, the fact that he went out there at all on Saturday tells me that's not altogether severe. And he might not play this week. And I, I think there's a chance he does not play against Tech. But I would expect him to give it a go against, against Alabama in the SEC Championship game. That'd be my guess. I don't know. Without NFL-style injury reports, you just don't really know in college. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of gamesmanship when it comes to those kind of things. So you don't really know. But I think signs point to him being fine when we play Alabama here in a, in a week and a half or so. Okay, next up, just in case you guys didn't notice... Against Tennessee on Saturday, we gave up a touchdown on our opponent's opening drive for the fifth consecutive game. And I know you noticed because we got a ton of questions about it. So again, I took the first questions that I saw. There were a ton of overlap questions. 
And the first one I saw came from Jonathan, who I think very tongue-in-cheek asked, will Tech score on their first drive? Well, Jonathan, history tells us yes. I would very much like to believe at some point we will break this trend and it won't be something that we have to talk about on a weekly basis here on this podcast. But right now, you kind of have to. And look, Tech is good offensively. They are terrible on defense, but offensively, they can score. They've got some explosive playmakers. They're a top 30 caliber offense in most major statistical categories. Haynes King is a turnover machine, but he's also talented. I also have a lot of respect for Buster Faulkner as an offensive play caller. And this guy knows our defense. He coached against it, or at least helped coach against it, not on the field necessarily, but was there helping scheme things up and seeing our defense up close and personal. So he knows what we do. He knows exactly how we respond to different looks and different formations and different personnel groups. He understands all that. So I think there's probably a chance that it does continue. I would really like to be wrong about that. But again, recent history says yes. The fact that Buster Faulkner is so familiar with what we do defensively and the fact that he's a good offensive play caller I would say, yeah, I mean, right now, if I had to guess, sure. At this point, just look, it's going to happen every single game. And along those same lines, our next question comes from Leroy, who I believe is another first-time asker of questions. I don't know if Leroy is a a new list or not, but Leroy, again, just like I said earlier with, who was, I think it was with Chris, new list or not, appreciate you, man. Thanks for the question. Glad to have you on board with us here on the Glory UJ podcast. And Leroy has a good question. He says that he's really curious about the defense's approach to those first drives that we've been talking about. He says it's almost comical at this point. I very much agree with that, Leroy, especially given Kirby's postgame remarks. What do you see in terms of their approach that could keep our opponents from jumping out to a lead every single time? It it has gotten absurd, man. Like, I, I tried to rationalize it last week and say, you know what, we've, we've played some really good offensive minds, some really good play callers who've had some time to scheme up some drives. They found some things they could exploit on tape. They put, they put together a really nice opening script and they were able to execute that script and score touchdowns on these opening drives. But this week was a little bit of a different story. It really had nothing to do with their script because they scored on one play, a 75-yard touchdown run. Now, Tennessee does scheme their offense very well in general, but they didn't really do anything altogether special on that play. Now, there might or might not have been some holds on that play, but regardless, we just missed a fit. We missed a run fit. I've gone back and rewatched the full rewatch again, and I, I'm still convinced on that play that was Zion Logue's gap. I think he got washed down by Cooper Mays, and when he got washed down like that, with the way that they had stretched out our defense and the way that we had chosen to defend them on that first play, having Malachi Starks go cover their slot receiver and man coverage, he was removed from being able to even offer any sort of resistance against the run. He was out of the run fit completely. And Tyke Smith was caught basically running back towards the field because he was following his man-to-man coverage who had gone in motion. So he was kind of like in no man's land and wasn't really in his fit either. And then once they once Wright broke through the line of scrimmage there, because again, I believe that Zion Lowe got washed down by Cooper Mays, it was Javon Bullard who needed to make that play and keep it from spilling out anymore. And he just took a false step and hesitated a little bit and took a bad angle and boom, the rest of history, 75-yard touchdown run. So that was a different story. That wasn't about a script. It was just about poor execution on our part which doesn't necessarily make it any better, but it wasn't, in my opinion, as though the Tennessee offense just like outcoached us on the first drive, which is kind of what's been happening the first couple of drives the past couple of games. 
But again, to our credit, we completely regrouped after that. We held them to 2.29 yards per rush the rest of the way. That was it on the ground. They got nothing else on the ground. That's why they could not put up any more points. Because as we laid out last week, when Tennessee cannot run the football, especially when they do not have the personnel receiver that, that they've had in years past, they are not going to be able to beat you. They just simply cannot. They can't move the ball on offense. And that's exactly what we saw play out. They scored three points after that. And that was because we were playing like a soft prevent defense right before the half. But in terms of answers, guys, I don't have them. I'm at a loss right now. I, I, I don't know what the answers are. And I don't, I don't know what the answers are because Kirby Smart doesn't know what the answers are. Glenn Schumann doesn't know what the answers are. We do a great job, again, of adjusting after the fact. But we have got to find a way to stop falling in these holes. Because as we've talked about before, we're going to face better teams. We do not want to fall into a 7-0 hole against Alabama in the SEC Championship game. You don't want that. If we get in the college football playoff, you don't want that to happen against Ohio State or Michigan or Washington or Oregon or whoever it might possibly end up being. You don't want that to happen because those teams are better. I don't think it's a, a flatness thing. I don't think that's the case at all because if we were flat, then how are we able to pick it up after that moving forward the rest of the game? That doesn't seem to really make any sense to me. I think it's, again, teams just find things on tape to exploit. They scheme it up really well on that first drive. But regardless, we've got to find a way to just execute better. When it comes down to it, we have to execute better. I don't care what their scheme is. We've got to be able to identify what they're doing quicker on the field, follow our rules, follow our principles, and keep these teams out of the end zone on that opening drive. That's That has got to be priority number one right now in what we're doing at practice because that cannot continue to happen. I know I've said that for a couple of weeks in a row now, but I'm going to keep saying it until we stop it because it cannot continue to happen. And with that, we are going to take our last break here today. I want to remind you guys about our great friends at Alumni Hall. Guys, Black Friday, it is, what, three, four days away? And if you have Georgia fans in your life, which I know that you do, you would not be listening to this podcast if you did not have Georgia fans in your life. So do them a solid. Get them the best gift you can possibly get them at Alumni Hall. Buy them some of the G on it, guys. Maybe the Standing Dog logo, the old school logo, whatever you want, guys, whatever they're into, Alumni Hall is going to have it. Whatever brand they like, Nike, Nike Golf, Peter Millar, Johnny O, Cutter and Bucks, Southern Tide. They have every brand you could possibly want. Men's selection, women's selection, kids' selection, home decoration, office decoration, car stuff, whatever you're looking for, trust me, they've got it. So do yourself a favor, guys. Shop at Alumni Hall on Friday. Black Friday deals, they actually probably be out on Thursday, maybe even on Wednesday. So keep watching. Check for those. Follow us on, on Twitter, guys, at Glory underscore UGA, because I will keep you guys updated on what's going on with Alumni Hall. But you have two ways you can check them out. You can check them out in-store, inside the Epsbury Shopping Center here in the Classic City, or online at alumnihall.com. So check them out today, guys, because Alumni Hall is where the Bulldogs shop. All right, guys, we got a couple more questions to run through today. Our next question is another question about injuries. I guess I should, probably should include this in the, the first two questions we had about injuries, so my bad on that one. But Hayward asks, I hate to be a Debbie Downer, but do you have any injury updates? So let's run through, run through what we've already talked about. Tate Rattledge looks like there's no structural damage whatsoever. The MRI was clean. He just got a bruised knee. Uh, he banged knees, and that's painful. So he just it's a matter of the bruise going down, the swelling going down, him being able to kind of manage the pain. Lad seems to be day-to-day -day more or less with the ankle injury. We've got at least some positive news on Ra-Ra Thomas. It is a foot sprain. He'd have an x-ray, all that stuff, and that stuff came back clean, so there's no structural damage there. It's a foot sprain that he's dealing with, and the length of time is is kind of up in the air. Different people respond to that at a different rate, so we'll just have to play that by ear. I would probably venture to say he's not going to play against Tech would be my guess, but just like Lad, I think there's a really good shot for him to be able to play 
the following week in the SEC Championship game. At least I, I certainly am hoping that's the case. I don't have any hard news on that. I'm trying to dig around and ask some, some people things, guys. But right now, Kirby's got that stuff on lockdown as we're near the end of the season. So I'm trying my best. If I get anything, I will let you guys know. But really, all I know is what, what Kirby's kind of telling us right now to the media. So that's what we're going to roll with right now. And I think that's all the major injuries coming out of the game against Tennessee. I think that's it. If I'm missing something, somebody can hit me up on social media. We can talk about it later this week. Okay, next up, we have a great question from our guy, Jay Swift, who's a great friend of the podcast. Appreciate you, man. And uh, this is one of my favorite questions that we got today. We got a bunch of great questions. They're all great, but I really like this one. It's kind of a unique way to look at things. So Jay Swift asks, all right, 11 games into the season, which position group are you most proud of? I really like this angle. I don't think we've ever been asked a question quite like that. And I put a little thought into this one, and I think there's a number of different directions you could go with this, but... I think it's pretty clear it's got to be running backs, right? It's got to be running backs. Think about all the injuries that we have dealt with that position. Branson Robinson, who was going to be the guy to open the season, had a hell of a spring until he gets hurt at the end of spring. And is obviously, as we now know, out for the season, comes back in fall camp and got hurt with a totally different injury. Now he's out for the season. And that was a tough blow, man, because he is a difference maker. And then Kendall Miss large chunks of both spring practice and fall camp. Same thing with Dejon Edwards. You have Roger Robson as a true freshman who plays some force to open the season, then goes down with his own injury, his own high ankle sprain. And of course, Andrew Paul coming back from his ACL tear that he suffered last fall camp. So we've just had so much adversity at that position, far more adversity at that position than any other position on the team, in my opinion, coming into this season. We've had adversity at other spots too, but nothing like what we've seen at running back. And so for Dejon Edwards to shoulder the load the way that he did for the first half of the season once he got into the lineup while he was trying to wait for Kendall to get back to where he was healthy enough to really help share that load, I have so much respect for Dejon Edwards. He's not the biggest guy, not the strongest guy, not the fastest guy, but the dude just knows how to play football. He just makes plays. He's a winner. He's tough as nails. And even when he came back early in the season, he wasn't 100% healthy. Kendall Milton, let's not forget Kendall. Kendall opened the season at about, what, 65 70%. I mean, that guy was dragging a leg out there. I mean, he he missed almost all of fall camp, but he knew that his team needed him. And if he could go out there and give us anything, he was going to do it. I mean, go back and think what we saw from Kendall the first couple of games compared to what we're seeing from Kendall now, that he's, I don't know if he's fully healthy, but certainly much healthier than he has been in a long time. It's night and day. That dude was out there putting it on the line for his team, for his program, for the fans, for us. And I have so much respect for that. So if you're asking me who am I most proud of, it's got to be the running backs. I'm so proud of Kendall for pushing through those injuries. I and mean, he's had such a long history of injuries here at Georgia. And I cannot imagine how frustrating that's had to be for him his entire career having to deal with all of that. And also hearing the chatter from the fan base out there about his issues trying to stay healthy. And for him to come back and just, even though he wasn't overly productive early in the season, for him to come out and play and give us what he could and continue to rehab and now get to the point where he is a big time factor in our offense, I'm extremely proud of him. I'm extremely proud of Dejan, not just for what Dejan's done for us this year, but you can go back to Dejan's history at Georgia. I mean, this guy was an afterthought recruit. I mean, we, we signed him because of the whole Zach Evans fiasco, and no one was really paying much attention to him. First couple years on campus was just a complete garbage time back, wasn't getting any sort of meaningful reps whatsoever. Guy didn't care. What did he do? He put his head down. He went to work. And look at this guy now. This guy is a feature back in the SEC. And he's a damn good feature back in the SEC too. Is he elite? No, he's not elite. But he's a damn good running back. And I'm proud of him. I'm proud of Kendall. I'm proud of that entire unit. They've done a hell of a job this season. 
All right, next up, we're going to look ahead to the matchup against Georgia Tech this week in rivalry. We got a little clean, old-fashioned hate for you. We're obviously going to break this down with our full game preview that I will be recording tomorrow. But we'll get a little head start on it here because Scott asked, on a scale of 1 to 10, how nervous should we be about the Tech game? I don't know, Scott, 2, 3, maybe? I will give Tech this. They are much improved. This is a bowl team. This is a good offensive football team. They are top 30, as we're going to talk about tomorrow. They're top 30 in most categories statistically. Almost across the board, they're a top 30 caliber offense in the country. Now, they have some turnover issues. Haynes King is very, very capable. He is a turnover machine. But if they don't turn the ball over, they can move the ball. They've got a couple good backs. They've got this, this Singleton kid who's a freshman receiver who is dynamic. He's an explosive athlete out there that can, that can stretch the field vertically, and they can create some big plays with him. King is a really athletic guy. He's a really big threat with his legs as well as as his arm. He's a good quarterback when he's, again, not turning the ball over. So they have some guys on offense that can stress us, and they they can move the ball. They might score a couple points. Just be ready for that. But defensively, they are god-awful. I mean, they are one of the worst defenses in the entire country, and that's not a great matchup when you're facing one of the best offenses in the entire country. So I think that we will be just fine in this game. I will say, however... You can never discount the rivalry game factor, right? You don't want to completely discount that. You got to respect it. If you don't respect it, that's how upsets happen in these rivalry games. It's one team Super Bowl, and the other team is looking ahead to the SEC Championship game, and they don't really care that much because they're just coming off a, a three-game stretch against top 25 teams. Now you're playing Georgia Tech, who you own, and they're not any good, and you don't really have any time to worry about them. That's when upsets happen, when it's their biggest game, and you don't care. So we just can't fall into that trap. I trust Kirby Smart. He hates Georgia Tech. He always he tends to always have our guys ready. He can, don't want to speak in absolutes, but he tends to have our team ready, and I want to believe that he's going to hammer that home this week. I think this is where our leadership and our culture really shows through that we will not allow ourselves to be distracted and looking ahead and be caught with our pants down against a team that is desperate to beat us at home at night in a primetime setting. I mean, guys, it's, they're getting the Chris Fowler, Kirk Herbstreit treatment. When does Georgia Tech get that? Yeah, they don't because the Georgia Tech. So maybe that mentality gives them a slight puncher's chance, but we're just a better team. And there's no reason why we should even come close to losing this game. But it is college football, and crazy things happen in college football. That's why I say two or three and not a one. All right, guys, we got two more questions here. The next one comes from William, who asks, with the coaching carousel now in full swing, are there any players from AM, Mississippi State, et cetera, that Georgia might sh- or should be targeting when the transfer portal opens? If you guys don't know when it opens, it opens, I think, 13 days from now. So it's less than two weeks, and it is going to be absolutely chaotic. It's going to be the wild, wild west. We're going to see portal madness. It is college football free agency until they do something to rein it in. It is what it is. And IL is going to be thrown around. That's going to be a big factor in all this. But I do absolutely think, I know that we are going to be a big player in the transfer portal when that time comes. And I think there's a couple positions that we need to look long and hard. I think interior defensive line, I like the guys that we have in Jordan Hall. I mean, Jordan Hall is going to be a really good player for us. I still believe in Jamal Jarrett. He's got to continue to to get himself in shape, conditioning, and and drop some weight and get his body where it needs to be to be able to contribute for this team. But I like like those guys. I like the guys that are bringing on on the interior defensive line in this class. But we need some instant impact guys. We need some dudes. And I think that's going to be a spot we're going to have to hit the portal, hit the portal hard. That might be a place we could go to Texas A&M because they have a number of guys on that defense line. Remember what was a couple, three years ago, that big time number one recruiting class, special recruiting class in the history of recruiting classes, right? 
Well, I mean, I feel like half the class was big time defensive linemen. Like how many five star defensive linemen did they get in that class? LT Overton might be one of those guys. He's a Georgia kid. He reclassified and went to AM. So that's certainly a name to watch there. But I think we're going to look long and hard all over the country, not just AM, not, not just Mississippi State, all over the country for a defensive tackle that can come in right away and contribute. I think you say the same thing at receiver because we're going to lose Lab McConkie. He's going to be gone. I thought Marcus Shows me Jack Saint might come back next year because they could have used his COVID year, but he walked with the seniors, which doesn't necessarily mean he's for sure gone, but. It's probably trending that way right now. Same thing for Arian Smith. We're going to need to refill the coffers they receive. I think Dominic Lovett and I hope Robert Thomas. I think both those guys will be back, but we want to add some depth, some impact players at the receiver position. So I think we'll also look really long and hard at the receiver spot in the portal. And then if there's a, a guy out there that wants to come to Georgia and he's like one of the best available and it's just like, man, you can't turn this guy down. Maybe there's a guy like that out there, but I think we're really going to target defensive line and receiver first and foremost when that portal opens here in, in a couple of weeks. All right, guys, last question has nothing to do with football. We've got another basketball question from our guy Shinobu, who is our resident Georgia basketball fan here on the podcast. And Shinobu asks, are you disappointed with our trip in the Bahamas? I thought we'd at least go one-on-one, but 0-2 hurts. And yeah, I agree, Shinobu. I I said last week, I had no expectations that we would beat Miami. I think Miami is a Final Four caliber team. They have a ton of really good guards, and that's what you have to have in the tournament. That's a really good basketball team with a lot of returning contributors from a Final Four run a year ago. So I had no expectations to beat them. I thought we were playing with house money there. I thought we played well at times in that game. But I was hopeful that we'd be able to beat either Kansas State or Providence. And that did not happen. We played ended up playing Providence. We had it the lead at various points in that game we just couldn't hold it late in the second half and let it get away from us and look Providence is a better team than us right now because they have more experience returning more guys that have played together and I know Kim English is a new coach at Providence but Bryce Hopkins is a good basketball player man I mean that dude was at Kentucky transferred to Providence was a big time player in the Big East last year and he was the best player on the court and they're just ahead of where we are right now now we played Providence in February in March maybe a different story, but we're just not there right now. We have so many new pieces, transfer guys, freshmen, and we're trying to figure out how all those pieces fit together. I mean, think about our first five games. We've played four power conference teams in the first five games, and I respect the heck out of Mike White for doing it, but it's really tough when you have so many new pieces and you're trying to figure out how they fit together on the fly that early against that type of competition. Now, we need to get it figured out. We have a couple games coming up here over the next week or two where we can figure those things out. I don't want to say that you know these should be gimme games because in basketball, there's not really gimme games. But these are games that we should win. So hopefully we start to further define roles and we figure out what we want our rotation to be and who we want to play certain numbers of minutes and who we want to play in, in certain situations. We got to shorten the bench a little bit right now. I mean, we're doing a better job of that, but we're, st- we're still playing too many guys right now. And I know traditionally that's what you do early in the season, but that's traditionally what you do against teams like North Carolina Central. That's not what you do against teams like Miami and Providence and Wake Forest and Oregon. You got to have a better idea of who you're going to roll with and what that bench is going to look like, what that rotation is going to look like. And right now we don't know. And it's tough to know. Again, it's, I'm going to give my wide a break here. So many new pieces it's tough to know how they fit together right now. So we're still very much in the process of figuring that out. It need We need to accelerate that for sure. One other thing that's really going to help us, we got to get RJ Sunahara back because we need a second legit score. Right now, Noah Thomason can be that guy. And we have a couple of other guys that can be that complimentary second score on any given night. You know, at various points, it's been Jabri Abdurrahim. It was Blue Kane on Friday against Miami. 
Melendez had a really good game against Providence yesterday. But we need that guy who can be like the, the Robin to Noah Thomason's Batman, or maybe even the Batman. Maybe. That's what Sunohara can be. But we need a guy that can give us that consistently night in, night out, where we have two legit scores, guys that can go get a bucket when they need to get one. Right now, the guy that that does that, I don't even know if he does it consistently for us, but does it most consistently is Noah Thomas and the transfer from Niagara. But we need Sunahara. Sunahara, he can shoot the three, he can put the ball on the floor, get to the rim, he can rebound, he can block shots. It's a big-time player for us. D2 player of the year last year. I know it's D2, I get that. But go watch this tape. The guy can play. He got banged up. He hurt his knee in the exhibition, and he has not played since. So I'm hopeful that we get him back soon. I don't know the timetable there. I just don't know. But it'd be really nice to get him back before we play Florida State. I would love that to be the case, but I just don't know. I will say this in closing, though. We have a number of opportunities in front of us. We still have that game against Florida State on the road. We have Georgia Tech at home. There are still opportunities out there for us to get some wins that will help us when we get closer to the postseason. Look, I don't know if this team will be a team that's going to make the tournament. I, I think that we have the pieces, the roster to get to that point if we can figure out how they fit together and we can just find some rhythm. Now, we need some of these guys to grow up. Right now, Silas Dimery, as our freshman point guard, he has a very bright future. That guy's going to be a really good basketball player for us. Right now, he's still very much figuring things out. I believe that we need to go with Justin Hill as a starter at point guard. I think he needs to play more minutes right now because he's the guy that's just more advanced. Like He's the one right now that I feel more confident in running the offense. I think he's a more confident scorer. He does not have near the ceiling of Demery. Demery is going to be a better player. And so you got to play the guy because you can't develop. You don't play him. So I'm not saying bench guy. No, play him. He's still doing some good things for us. And his size out there at, at, a, at, at the point guard position is really, really valuable for us defensively. But we're not operating efficiently enough offensively right now and I think one way to help that would be to play Justin Hill more and we're starting you can see we're starting to play him more but I think that needs to continue and I think that we need to play him even more than we are right now because I just think our offense operates more effectively and efficiently when he's on the court and he's the one leading the offense but I'm not giving up there's still a lot of basketball left to play this team is going to get better by the time we get to like midpoint of SEC play we are going to be one tough out. We just got to get there. We got to get there and keep growing, keep developing. I believe in Mike White. I believe he will get us there at some point during this season. But uh, all right, guys, that's all I got for today. I will be back with our official Georgia Tech clean old-fashioned hate rivalry week preview episode tomorrow. And then Charlie and I will wrap it up with our picks of the week at the end of the week. In fact, we might invert it this week. It kind of makes sense because we have a number of games on Thursday and Friday. So actually, we'll do that. Let's go ahead and just say we're going to do that. Charlie and I will be back with you for our next episode. We'll have that for you Wednesday night. We want to make sure we talk some Egg Bowl stuff. We want to talk some of those games on Friday night. So we'll have that for you a little bit earlier this week. And then we'll come back on Thursday night with our official Georgia Georgia Tech deep dive game preview. So a lot of great content left for you guys. Holiday week or not, Thanksgiving week or not, this podcast does not go dark. We got you guys covered with that football fix. So hope you guys enjoy your Thanksgiving week. Enjoy your family time. And of course, as always, go dogs. <laughs>